Let us worship God. from 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, beginning with the 29th verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be open to hear your word this day. Amen. I say this, siblings, the time has already been drawn up short with the result that from now on those who have spouses would be just as those who have not, and those who are weeping just as those who are not weeping, and those who are rejoicing just as those who are not rejoicing, and those who buy things just as those who have no possessions. And those who deal with the world, just as those who do not deal with it. For the configuration of the current world is passing. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. 
Thanks be to God. Gospel of Mark, the first chapter beginning with the 14th verse. 
After John was handed over, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the sovereignty of God has drawn near. Repent and trust in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Here ends our reading. The church vans had been collecting us since elementary school, each day faithfully waiting as the bell rang. Doors open, no need for questions, just quiet seats of welcome made warm in the sun, helping overstimulated bodies transition once more. They went from one school to another until the whole family was present. The kids from north, south, southeast. When we reached the church, we were greeted by familiar routines. Snacks carefully prepared, hostess cakes, marshmallows, Rice Krispie Treats, then received by our choir director, whose skill at commanding our attention left our being dosed with sugar unquestioned. Each week, we practice listening to one another without losing our part in the harmony. And then we were set free. When we were old enough to join the youth group, The same vans carried us on adventures, and the same faces filled the seats. One winter, in the early hours of the morning, we piled into the vans with our winter coats and snow pants, our rolled-up sleeping bags and backpacks, and nestled into the seats like an overstuffed tent, we left for the mountains. The roads were snow-packed and winding. The forest was full and healthy. And oh, we were content. Do you remember the last time you were content? When I think of this moment, it wasn't just that we were on a trip. It wasn't just the warmth of the van or the new lodge where we'd be staying. It was something else. The trip was marketed as an opportunity to go tubing. It was made legitimate through the serious work of nightly devotionals and journal exercises. But the real point was to sled down a mountain, catch a line back to the top, and make it through an adventure. It was to have this memory made possible by parents of the church who became surrogate 
fathers. We were their kids, the church kids, the ones they looked after and purchased private plane rides for at silent auctions and let come over for movie nights and provided sugary snacks to and built a room above the sanctuary for. We were the kids they called when we got our first jobs, the ones they made sure came inside when the thunder clapped. Before light broke this winter morning, we were content because of the family with us, because Carl and Joe were driving, because we liked spending time with them, and they liked spending time with us. In our reading from Paul's letter to the people of Corinth, he writes as a surrogate father. In his eyes, they have become like his children. And in this moment, he finds them not as if in the van in the peaceful hours of morning, but mid-argument three-quarters of the way up the mountain. Divisions have grown among them. Some are said to be holier than others, some reflecting more of God's glory. And they've written to him, asking him to settle their questions. And Paul is pained. He says, this is not the path we are meant to follow. Taking care to be clear when he is teaching the word of God, and when he is speaking as himself, he responds to them as children, his children, who feel like they are supposed to be other than they are, or that some among them should be other than they are. He says, if you are asking me whether you should change your status from married, unmarried, celibate, engaged, widowed, in order to live a holier life, I say, you do not need to be any different than you are. God called you just as you are in whatever state you are, and you need not be in opposition to that or in opposition to one another. Though it may seem impossible now, though the powers of Rome might seem immovable, and the way it has ordered the world unchangeable, a new day is coming. A day of justice, a day of peace, a day of healing in our midst. And so again I say you do not need to be other than you are. Your life circumstance doesn't need to be different than it is for you to be called and embraced by God, to be part of this community. Paul believes the path forward, the path to this new day, is one of unity and love. It is in this letter to these children that we read the familiar words. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. The path is not easy, but it's worthwhile. Our reading from Mark also arises out of difficult circumstances. John has been handed over, just as Jesus will be. And in the face of this, Jesus begins proclaiming the sovereignty of God has drawn near. Walking along the Sea of Galilee, he calls out to fishermen to follow him, promising to make them fishers of people. And immediately, Simon and Andrew and James and John get up and follow. It was not uncommon to refer to the practice of recruiting students to a philosophy or to a way of life as fishing or hunting. There's a story of a philosopher from the 4th century BCE who was criticized for allowing a king to spit in his face. And in response to his critics, the philosopher says, if the fishers let themselves be drenched with seawater in order to catch a minnow, ought I not to endure being wetted with mixed wine in order to take a carp? The path is not easy, but it's worthwhile. When Simon and Andrew and James and John left the world they'd known, they must have believed it was worthwhile. Even the act of leaving was humbling. The act of leaving the protective honor of their kin for the surrogate kin of another, not to mention the difficulties along the way. As the story continues, they're not alone long. More and more people gather, people from the towns and countryside, people long hidden with suffering, whole schools of fish. The sovereignty of God draws near, and healing comes. What draws you to someone? Is it the crowd? Is it something in their words? Is it that hearing something true spoken lets you hear your own something true? Is it in the way they carry themselves, their presence? When I think of the people who have become surrogate parents in my life, when I think of Joe, when I think of Carl, I realize I was drawn to the joy I recognized in their presence. I was drawn to love. Whatever troubles of the day, whatever discomfort, in their light, I knew what it was to belong. 
I knew what it was to be healed. Though competing to be first is so often the way of the world, the way of my world, in this, there was no competition with my usual rival. There was never a question of scarcity in their love. The warmth of their presence grew warmth in others instead of competition. It fostered a community not unlike our own, united by something else, born of memories of snow-packed and winding roads, forests full and healthy, and a contentment of belonging. So that entering high school felt safer, gentler. Dotted around campus were familiar faces, children collected from each elementary school, choir kids who practiced listening without losing their part in the harmony, adventurers who became family on a path not easy, but worthwhile. Thank you.
as we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God.
Let us pray. Holy One, you have fed us in silence, in song, in bread, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Go forth with the gift of contentment, grounded in acceptance of who you are and upheld in the strength of unity and love. And may the grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be loved, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen.